This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Final Command Ministries. Here's audio content from Final Command and their track called Viral Disciple-Making Movements. Well, I'm really glad to see you all here today. Glad to see you all at the uh, Disciple Maker Forum. Let me start out with a question here. Why did you come to this conference? What are you expecting to get out of this? Can't be that tough of a question. Yes. Well, um, why I came is that found out there's a group of, of disciple makers who've been doing it for a long time that feel the need to come together and talk about this very important issue. And so I wanted to make some new friends to answer your, your second question uh, and even to glean and learn some things how I can better make disciples and even collaborate with others in doing just that. Mm-hmm. That's a great answer. Has anybody got anything to add to that? Yes. Let me ask a follow-up on that, and that is you say it's very different here in Kentucky than it is overseas. How do you see it as being different? Um, the culture is very church here, and so I've, I've worked primarily with um, very unchurched people um, or very poor people um, who um, either, you know, they, they talked about in the main session this kind of representation of Christ that um, 80 to 90 percent of the church gives. Um, I've worked in cultures before where they don't have that representation of Christ, um, and if they do, it's it's uh, it, it looks very different. Um, mm-hmm. And so the the strategies that I have used or found to be effective in the past in different cultures, I've not found to be effective here. And um, there, I find I I work with a lot of people and interact with a lot of people who say to me that um, they've already been discipled and they don't need to be discipled anymore. Um, I find that challenging. Follow up to that then. The people that say they've already been discipled, is there evidence that they really have been or are they just telling you? Not at all. Okay. Yes. I, I like the word viral because viral to me, when I think of that word, just means somebody who is intentional in starting something that just kind of went well beyond their control at some point. So it's it's a lot of effort at the front um, that just really then it's like wildfire, just spreads. And, and I think that's something, as I think about discipleship in our church, um, wouldn't that be awesome if it was something that we could start that then just wildfire? 
you know, in the international context, we are seeing a lot of viral disciple making. Uh, we really have a lot of trouble when things go three, five, seven. We've seen 13, 15 generations in places. It gets hard to track. And isn't that a great problem to have that something has gone so wild you can't track it? Anybody else got any other reasons? Why are, why are you here? Yes. Uh, as a pastor in the second chair, how do I influence my senior pastor in changing the culture to be a disciple-making movement as well as leading down as well? That's an interesting dilemma. And I pray that you're successful. Others? Yes. Uh, I'm a school bus driver, volunteer at my church. We have about 100 students in ministry. Okay, so you're just an ordinary Christian. You're not a professional Christian. (laughs) You know, one of the things that we really believe is there are not enough vocational Christians out there, evangelists, pastors, missionaries that are ever going to take the world for Jesus Christ. But we also believe that God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And you will have successes that pastors can't. I I talked to a man this morning. He said, you know, I used to be a pastor, and now I'm a stay-at-home dad. And he says, people will talk to me. When I told them I was a pastor, they clammed up. They got away from me. And now that I'm a stay-at-home dad, they talk to me. They cuss with me. He says, you know, he doesn't cuss himself, but he loves it that people will have a conversation with him as an ordinary Christian that they wouldn't with a professional Christian. So don't, please don't think lowly of yourself. I mean, you have opportunities that those of us who do ministry full time don't have. That's fantastic. Okay, we can talk about that. Yes. I feel like I know how to make disciples. What I would really like to know is the secret to making disciple-making movements. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd really like to hear. And that's what we're going to talk about in this track. This is the first one, and the secret really is prayer. Uh, there are ten different organizations here, and I think one thing that every organization is going to agree with is it all starts with prayer. If you don't have prayer, you really don't have anything. You know, you might be able to do a little bit, But to really go viral, and we consider a disciple-making movement, at least in the international context, to be at least 100 churches wide and at least three levels deep. That is, a group that starts a group that starts a group. Almost anybody can start a group, but only God can start a movement. And what we really need to do is set up an environment where he can really do his work. I would also say, you know, that God does it all. But my experience has been when we don't do much, we don't really see him doing a lot either. So there's a human element. With you, I'm just curious, with your definition, are, are, is the leadership of each group, is, are they lay leaders? In most cases, yes. most cases, yes. And how big are the, to be considered a church or a group, how, how many folks is that? It, we really don't have a definition of that. In a lot of areas where we're working, it's very... Uh, tough strategic areas, areas where terrorism is rife. We work in areas where Boko Haram is is active. And in a lot of cases, it's going to be a church will be a house church and maybe 15 people because that's how many people you can put in a house without drawing attention. The idea is not making huge groups. The idea is making lots of groups.
something that really came through on that first session this morning has to do with the relational uh, relationships within the group. And we're seeing groups that live life together. And they get so excited about it that people go out and start other groups. It's something we don't see in America is the excitement of Christianity. Maybe we've had Christianity here too long, in a way. I, I spoke several years ago with a man who was partly responsible for the first disciple-making movement in North Africa. And I said, what would it take for America to see what you've seen in your country? And he said, Terry, don't ever pray for that. And I said, what do you mean? He says, well, you need 400 years of darkness. And he says, please don't pray for 400 years of darkness in America. But somehow we need to get our excitement back uh, of something new. Anybody else want to weigh in on this question? Why are you here and what are you expecting to get out of this conference? Um, I was discipled by somebody at my church and um, he told me that a successful disciple is somebody that goes out and makes another disciple. Mm -hmm. Um, And he uh, encouraged me to go to this conference um, because I have no idea where to start. Um, I'm fairly new to Christianity in the first place and... um, there's a huge, huge community and a huge group of young people and old people that don't know Christianity and don't know a relationship with Christ, even if they know the church and they know religion. And so there's there's just a, a large need where I am. And I have no idea where to start, so I figured this was a pretty good place. I would say you're also in a really good place. A lot of times in the church we say you really need to study for at least 10 years before you go out and try to make a disciple, preferably go to Bible college, and if you can, go to seminary. And by the time you do all those things, you've lost all your connections to the lost world. It sounds like you are new enough that you still have connections in your former world. That's fantastic. Well, you know, we we tell people when they come to the church, hang out with good people and don't go to bad places. Well, there's some good aspects about that, but it really doesn't further the kingdom of God. And so, my brother, you have opportunities. Go to bad places and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Spurgeon that talked about he would rather be, you know, a, a yard away from hell running a rescue station than being caught in the middle of the church. Not that the church is bad. I I totally believe in the church, but we really do need to get out there and mingle with the lost and show Christ's love. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the the secret to success is really prayer and fasting. I'm going to take you through just a little bit of an introduction to Final Command, what we do and maybe how we're a little bit differently, uh, doing things a little bit differently. And uh, hopefully you'll want to come to some of our other sessions, which will hit on some other aspects of what we do. What we work with is disciple-making movements. As I mentioned earlier, we see that as at least 100 churches, at least three generations deep, and over a period of three to five years. You know, you can have... A hundred churches wide and three generations deep and a thousand years. And that's not really a movement. So it needs to be in a timely manner. Anybody can start a group. It's very simple. But only God can start the movement. 
And so those are the things we want to concentrate on. And I'll mention to uh, my colleague, Gary Jennings, who was in the back, actually created most of these slides and gave me permission to use them, so I won't take credit for it. So DMMs focus on making dis obedient disciples, not converts. So often in the American church, we judge people for being a good Christian because they know a lot of stuff. And Jesus had something to say about that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, and a person who knows all these things and doesn't practice them is like a person who built his house on the sand. And a few years ago, I realized for the first time that the man who built his house on the sand knew just as much as the man who built his house on the rock. He just didn't put it into practice. And so we really need to get out of that mode and make dis obedient disciples. It was mentioned in the last session that if you make disciples, you'll get churches. If you build churches, you may not get disciples. And there is a lot of truth to that. The Great Commission said, go make disciples. It didn't say make converts. It didn't say build churches. It said make disciples. DMMs occur naturally and spontaneously when the right principles are applied, and those are things we can help you with. DMMs are a rapid multiplication of small groups and churches. We believe to the point of if we have a small group going and somebody said, well, is it okay if I bring my cousin from the next village or from the next town in America to join the group? We would preferably say no. We would rather have you start another group in that area. And that way we're multiplying groups. We're keeping the small group. Now, if they want to grow large, that's fine. We're not going to tell a group what to do. Some do grow into large churches. Others will band together and uh, cooperatively uh, make a church. Others may join a larger church that's already going on. That's really up to them. We're not going to tell them how to do it. Our first principle is that intercessory prayer is of the highest priority, and that's what we're going to really home in on during this session. But I'm going to go ahead and mention uh, the other aspects that we're seeing as being very important. This is what we call our wheel. It's something we've just developed recently to help us really understand what the process is like. It starts with prayer and fasting. And then typically we'll serve people. We will find out felt needs in their community, in their group, and go serve them. And this will look different depending on where you are. In Africa, a lot of times we'll use water wells or schools. I don't know what it will look like in your community. What you're going to do, have to do is find out. Uh, Bob uh, Sloan is working with groups down in the Chattanooga area. What are you using down there for serving? Yeah. Our main, our main focus is uh, in the elementary school and volunteering, but we do, um, we're about um, meeting the digital equity problem in our neighborhood. We live in an urban neighborhood. And basically what we do is we receive uh, refurbished computers, find out the need in regards to the students, the elementary school students, um, install the computers, and then just really just sort of like walking through the process with families. We also do tutoring um, with um, 
Uh, we have a lot of Latinos in our community. Um, we do one-on-one -on -one tutoring with them. So a lot of our a lot of our main emphasis of Access Ministries is basically all through technology. Mm -hmm. And what we're really emphasizing here is not necessarily discipling within the church, but how do we get outside the church to reach people and make disciples among the lost, which we consider very important. It's, it's important, yes, to disciple people within the church, but we really need to be out among the lost people. The Great Commission tells us to go make disciples. Jesus also tells us that this message will be a witness to all people groups, and then the Lord will return. And unless we reach the groups that are not reached, especially those groups we call unengaged groups that really nobody's even working among today, the end will never come. And so we really need to concentrate on that also. And so the reason, one of the reasons we serve, besides it's the kind of things the church ought to do, but one of the other reasons we want to serve is this helps us build relationships with people in the community. It gives people the chance to ask, why are you doing this? Bob, why are you getting these refurbished computers? And at no cost to us, why are you doing this? Um, we're doing it because we, we, I mean, we're, 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 we're very specific that, you know, we're Jesus followers, and um, but we feel like God is leading us to do that and to just build a relationship with them. So we'll just see what God does in the middle of it. The next step is finding a person of peace. We thoroughly believe that there are people out there that God is speaking to even before we come along. A lot of times we find in a foreign context that they're watching for us. We're not looking for them. They're looking for us. I had an interesting conversation with an African brother who was staying in our home, and I mentioned the fact that, you know, we... In America, we see people who have gone to a really tough part of the world and they've worked for 40 years and only had two converts. And we see that as faithfulness and a good thing. And what the African brother said was, they were in the wrong village. There was probably a person of peace out there looking for them in another village and they sh probably should have moved down the road. Uh, this is something that's it's really tough to do. Our ministry has had to leave one country recently because of uh, political pressures, and it, it really hurts to send those people someplace else. But if the persons of peace aren't there, you just really need to be someplace else instead of beating our heads against the wall. Now, it may be that we'll go back there in the future. We know that Paul was told not to go to Asia. And then later on, Paul talks about that was where his greatest success was. People talked about that everybody in this whole province of Asia knew about Jesus Christ. So there's some, an aspect of timing on this also. A person of peace will be someone who shows us hospitality and someone who is well-connected to the community and can introduce us to uh, others within the community. At that point, we will start a Discovery Bible study, and there will be a session on Discovery Bible studies. It's These are normally lay-led uh, there's no teaching or, well, there's teaching, but it's not through preaching. It's not through an expert. It's through a group of people getting together, reading the scriptures, and answering some key questions, including the question of what are you going to do about this in your life? How are you going to change your life based on what you've studied here? The last thing we do is we embrace multiplication. One of our eight questions is, who else do you know who needs to hear this story? And that allows us to go out and start other groups. 
the amazing thing about this is a lot of times we're discipling people to Christ and we'll have a group of non-believers studying the scriptures together and discovering Christ together. And a lot of times these people will go out and start new groups even before they become believers. And we know Jesus sent people out before they were believers. I mean, if you look at the 12 disciples, when did they become believers? Was it before or after the crucifixion? But it wasn't early in the ministries. It was very late in his ministry where he had discipled them for these years and they finally became believers. It takes a lot of trust in the Holy Spirit to believe that non-believers can lead other non-believers to the Lord, but we're seeing it happen over and over and over again. That's an overview of what we do. So today we really want to concentrate on the aspect of prayer. How important is prayer to this whole process? And what I want to show you is a video we had done in Africa to show you how the African church prays. It's a little different than what you probably see in your local church here. Prayer is a central component. Uh, And we practice listening prayer. We listen. Um, I'm going to take it back to the beginning again. We listen a lot to what God is saying. Uh, Just... Try and be obedient to those nudgings that he gives us. We don't see prayer as a program. We see prayer as a lifestyle. We begin by prayer. They see us pray. We welcome you to this video series on what God is doing across the continent of Africa through disciple-making movement. In these videos, you will see how churches and denominations in sub-Saharan Africa have moved beyond church planting to see movements happen. And these movements are sweeping hundreds of thousands of people into the kingdom as obedient followers. The call of God on the African church in the 21st century. Following the flow of spiritual power, we are discovering that God has infused an engaged people group with remarkable disciple makers. We can see mighty movements spreading across the entire continent, bearing the fingerprint of God. It encourages us that the continent will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As we begin this series, we want to be clear about one thing. Disciple-making movement, or DMM, is not a program, not a strategy, or a curriculum. It is simply a movement of God. Without Him, there is nothing. That is why this series and all discussion about disciple-making movement begin with prayer and fasting. Our sovereign God is passionately pursuing the lost to bring them to Himself. Prayer and fasting allows us to align ourselves with Him. There will be no results if we are walking in our own strength and according to our own wisdom. God says, ask me, and I will make the nation your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Also, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. We invite you to join the movement of God among nations in Africa. And we welcome you on this journey of discovery. 
We trust that you will never be the same. Our prayer is that you will make disciple makers who will make disciple makers. And this will lead to movement among the nation in Africa. disciple-making movement is an act of God and without God all the, the strategy combined cannot take us anywhere it's not about me or you it's about God and it's about the lost we should pray for uh, people for nations who have not heard of Jesus Trying to see a movement in a people group without prayer is trying to fly without wings. Movements begin with prayer, movements end with prayer, and there are no movements without prayer. Behind any uh, success in planting churches and making disciples, there are a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, a lot of uh, bending knees, a lot of cry, weeping before God. And uh, this is where the victory is won. And then when you go on the field, uh, you see the result. And so prayer is, is central to everything that we do. Prayer and fasting is important to the DMM process. Because DMM itself, in terms of making discipleship of the church, is rooted in prayer. Uh, we realize that Jesus, when he walked the face of this earth, before he started his ministry, the first thing he did was to go out to pray. And as you look at the life of Jesus, the Bible says he went out early to pray every day. It was part of his daily life to pray. In fact, he prayed so much that his disciples asked him, Master, teach us how to pray. And Jesus prayed all throughout. There were times before he started his miracle, he prayed. Before feeding the 5,000, he lifted the bread up and he prayed. Before he chose his disciples, the Bible said, after he has prayed for the whole of the night, you know, he sat down and he called the twelve to him. Jesus prayed every night and day. Jesus also prayed fervently. Even on the cross, his first word was prayer. His last word was prayer. And if Jesus who gave back to the church, prayed so much, then it is just incumbent on all of us to pray that way if we are going to have a church that makes disciples that rapidly multiply themselves. You know, in New Testament, we learn that from Jesus. But actually, prayer and fasting started in the Old Testament. So anybody that God had called into the ministry, most of them started with the praying. So when we start with the fasting and praying, one reason is to align ourselves with God's will and God's plan. I think that's the reason why Jesus went into the wilderness to hear from the Father. And so when we disciple makers choose to fast and pray, it's listen from God. He's the one who had sent us to do it. 
He's the one who knows where for us to go. He's the one who knows who to engage with. And so as we pray, there's so many things that happen. Fasting is so important because it helps us to concentrate on God's will. Secondly, it's so important for us to know that fasting and prayer uh, is, is a way to fight the spiritual warfare. Making disciples is, takes us to the front line of, of missions to, to the people. And so we are engaging constantly in this spiritual warfare. And it's so important for us to prepare ourselves uh, spiritually. And uh, the other thing about uh, fasting and prayer is for us to get directions from God. And uh, as we pray and fast, we will hear from God and that will help us where to go, what to do, and how to do those things. To go and make disciples, it means that I'm going in the camp of the enemy and make sure that people are released to come into the kingdom. And that spiritual warfare is one in prayer. I think prayer as a lifestyle, not a program. Prayer is something that we live. Uh, and so we do prayer walks, organized prayer walks that are programs. Begin as a lifestyle, the program doesn't work. And so prayer is a lifestyle for us. It's not a separate thing that we do. It's integrated into everything that we do. Every, every meeting begins with significant time spent in prayer. Every time we go out, prayer is a central component. Uh, and we practice listening prayer. We listen a lot. We speak very little. We listen a lot to what God is saying. And uh, just be, be, try and be obedient to those nudgings that he gives us. We don't see prayer as a program. We see prayer as a lifestyle. We begin by prayer. They see us praying. We pray together. That they pray. And everything we do from prayers. If people start that way, that's what they do. And that's how they will end up doing and so for us, we don't train prayers for them to start learning prayers. They saw us beginning with prayers. Even when somebody is a new believer, we take them with us to go on a prayer walk. And sometimes they don't even understand why we do this. Finally, they learn it's something that they have to do. That a, a new MBB, you know, coming going for prayers with me and he asked me, what are we doing? Who are you talking to me? He asked me, I'm talking to God. Why are we walking and talking? So they learn doing rather than sitting in a class and learning. And our philosophy in, when it comes to prayer is you, you learn prayers by praying. You don't learn prayers in a class. And when we come together, part of our accountability questions in Discovery Bible Studies is how did God answer your prayers? What did you pray for? How did God answer? Because we want to see whether they are praying whether they are receiving answers to their prayers. And if somebody has not prayed, we also ask them why they are not praying. Because we really want to depend on God. And that's all about prayers. Otherwise, you just use a lot of human efforts to try to solve problems. And so that becomes a, a, a lifestyle of prayer rather than a programmed prayer. We're relatively uncreative as the body of Christ in, in prayer. And so we think prayer is either 
sitting in a circle and going around taking turns to pray. Or it's one person praying while everybody else listens. And I think sometimes people don't pray because it's a spiritual issue. And I think sometimes people don't get involved in prayer because we're just not creative. And we don't find ways to engage people in prayer. And so we try to do that. We try to get the whole person, the whole body, left and right brain involved in the prayer exercises. Whether it's reflective prayer, sending them out into, the, into nature and saying go, in, go and reflect and then come back and share. Um, whether it's intercessory prayer, um, finding out what God is doing in different places, uh, becoming informed and then praying into those areas. Uh, whether it's warfare prayer, there's significant resistance to something that we're trying to do and we've identified that as spiritual resistance and we pray into it. All those different types of prayer, we engage very creatively. And uh, we, we try and find physical ways to engage in that. Uh, objects, um, we, we build things with rocks, we uh, use art, dance, drama. Uh, we interact a lot. Um, we listen to each other. We listen to God. We read scripture. We share scripture. We sing. Um, all of that creativity and the variety of it keeps people engaged in prayer. And so I think creativity in prayer is extremely important if you want to see it be a movement with that everybody is involved in. We make sure that prayer is part and parcel of our discipleship process from the very first day. It's part and parcel of the discipleship process. And we teach people how to pray. We do discovery Bible studies on prayer. We involve people in prayer ministries. And that's why we have prayer sessions. We have, for example, a weekly prayer time. We have a fasting time on Wednesday where people will fast and people will pray. We have a daily prayer which is the first three days in a month. We have a monthly half night or whole night prayer. We have um, the first 21 days in every month. It's a time of prayer. We spend some time to pray and fast. We have an end of year prayer time. We have victory weekends that we do. We have um, different outside groups also coming together to pray and to fast. And we have quarterly fasting periods that we also do after every three months. So so we imagine time is so we have this path that has been built in prayer. So everything we do, we say it is all about prayer. So prayer is such instrumental. The good news prayer, the youth prayer, we teach each and every level of people to pray. And we use our prayer path as a way to train and develop people to become intercessors. Disciple making movements are called not taught. We began by trying to train, trying to teach, even even discovery, even helping people to read it in God's Word is not enough. That it needs to be modeled. Every value that we want to move through the movement needs to be modeled. And so I began to learn that if I wanted prayer to be central to everything that we do and to every single person, I had to become a person of prayer. And that's personal prayer, but it's also modeling that in the group, in the community. And so I made that shift whenever we met together. I'd lay the agenda aside and say, we're going to spend time in prayer. And we're going to spend time listening to God. And made a significant effort to, to model that. And that's what eventually began to move prayer through everything that we do. The people are not going to pray more than 
everything in movements is modeled by the leadership and needs to be needs to be shown by the leadership to the people prayer and fasting has been used in the in the new harvest global ministry but we did not start that way it is a traditional ministry we embraced the idea in fact before we embraced it it took prayer and fasting we went to see the face of god and when we had the conviction that this is the right path to take we said to make prayer and fasting in every aspect every area of the ministry and so gradually as we continue to pray we saw the success stories we saw the testimonies we had the testimonies we touched them we feel them we lived with the people that god performed this miracle ordinary people common people and people that are highly placed and we saw the hand of god and move of god and we are convinced in our heart that this is indeed about god and this is god's way and it's god's thing so eventually with that today we were able to become a discipleship making ministry and that is our niche that's what everybody knows of about and it has become a common thing and we are training other people to do so i'm encouraging you that this is something that will work it's not something that is extraordinary it's not something it's not a rocket science it's, it's something that can work because prayer is part of the bible it's part of the principles of scripture of we being followers of jesus fasting is just part of scripture and so we can begin one step at a time in other words starting slow to end big and that's what we did and today we want to thank god that we <laughs> obeyed the lord and we did it and i'm encouraging you if you can also obey the lord and do it and start small surely one day you'll be sharing the same testimony sharing because you will end big every august our team plans to engage at different communities either in southern ethiopia or in northern kenya and so what happened was the team engaged in fasting before they even go out and so this one specific group uh, in one of the mission trips was fasting and they planned to go to a certain village and so they boarded a bus and uh, two of them were sitting at the back another a number of them were sitting in the middle of the bus and so they set on a journey to, to go to this specific village that they felt oh, they felt that there's a need to go to that village. They knew that it was a village full of demons, very resistant people, and they've done their surveys, and, and so they were really ready to go. So when they were in the bus, there's one guy who was also in the same bus, sitting next to one of our disciple makers. And this guy was uh, uh, somebody from a, a different faith. And so he started asking questions. But the guy who was sitting next to me, our disciple maker, was still praying. And they were asking God while they were, were traveling. And so this guy continued asking, where are you going? Who are you? And so finally he started sharing with him. So we felt we are missionaries and we are, we are going to reach, we are going to different people groups. And so this guy asked, why don't you come to our village? Why don't you come to our village? And so finally they felt God has already prepared somebody else and the person is here and he's going to that village and he's inviting them to his village. And they felt that was like a Macedonian call, that God wanted them to go to a different direction because he already placed this man. So they followed this man to the village the man introduced them to the village elder, but they are all people from a different faith, so they were resistant. So they chose to stay in this 
man's house and from there they went into fasting and praying for the village and there's so many demon possessed people in the village and so the, the, this guy who invited them invited them to the one of their homes of his relatives and the lady was very sick for so many years and was demon possessed and the villagers knew that there were believers in the village so when they went into that house and they prayed with them the demon left the woman and, and when people heard about all these miracles that happened that the demons left and the woman was okay everybody started inviting them and that way the movement was started because through this man who invited them and his family the Bible study group was started and through these Bible study groups you know everybody was coming to it and through that a church was planted and today there's so many other groups that was started out of that one uh, event like that through this one man that God used to lead uh, the disciple makers to the village. After praying and fasting, God uh, bring us one person, the name is Jean Paul. So, and this Jean Paul uh, is a influence man in the community because he's a drunker, he's using the alcohol, marijuana, and so and so. So, when we meet with Jean Paul, we have a time to, to share with Jean Paul and good news of Jesus Christ through Discovery Bible study. And that time, after two or three months, John, John Paul came to Jesus Christ. So, and uh, uh, through John Paul, we begin to to move around to uh, to new places because uh, John Paul is one who knows many people in in, in the community. John Paul helps us to to open the door to other places to to find other personal place. So, uh, I want to say. Through prayer and fasting, everything is possible. One day, is, as a community, we are the people in those communities have been Muslims all throughout their life. In fact, they were under oath that they will not accept any church, no Christian witness. For more than 15 years, there have been no church in that community. So we started to pray about it. The first time we made an attempt, they rebuffed us very seriously. And so I told the intercessors, we need to penetrate into this community. And so we started to pray and pray and pray. And finally, the Lord opened a door for us to go there. We used the school as an access ministry. And once the school started, the primary made a, a declaration saying that even though our ancestors said nobody should become a Christian but as a primary chief I today revoke what has been said 100 years by our ancestors so everybody is free to become a Christian today that community churches have been planted there there's a school and they are helping us as I speak they just donated about 15 bags of cement to be able to build a community school in the community where they never accepted anything like a church today everybody is sending their children to the school but also they are supporting church planting process in that community. If you want to accelerate reaching nations, uh, I think DMM is the key. In a DMM process, if you play around with prayer, this process will just get to a point it will stop. But if you use prayer, it's just like you have fear and, and awe, and it will keep on going. It will just keep on going. So prayer is so tremendous. It's so important to this whole process. And I will say, pray, 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 pray. The kingdom of God coming and 
and manifesting, revealing itself on earth is, is central to our prayer. And we begin to imagine, we begin to pray, you know, what would it look like for the kingdom to come and Lord let your kingdom come? And, and so I think prayer is, is central. Prayer is no option. It's a must. Otherwise, church planning movement or disciple-making movements will not be a reality. It will just be a wish. This was made by Africans, basically, well, with American assistance for Africans to really get the African church charged up about reaching Africa. But are you seeing principles that would work here? How is prayer in the African church different than prayer in your church? I think comfort's one of our biggest problems with prayer. We're not we're not hungry, we're not desperate. We think, you know, because we're okay in a lot of ways, you know, like she said a while ago, it's hard to reach here where it's easier when we go somewhere else. Because there there's usually a need you can meet. Mm-hmm. Most of the time here there's not really a need. There's want. But not me. We're even seeing this within the state of Tennessee. For example, I live in Williamson County, which is a very wealthy county. Mm-hmm. There's not the need. Bob is down in Chattanooga in a very poor area, down on the Tennessee-Georgia uh, border, and there's a lot more need there. And I'm taking it that makes things a little bit more open. Okay, let Christy, his wife, answer. And there is a lot of prayer and fasting. One of our other partners down there, a a lady by the name of Tia, holds prayer in her home. And June and I, my wife, we've been down there a couple of times. And it's amazing. They live out in the middle of nowhere. Until recently, their driveway was so bad, my car wouldn't go up it. And what's really scary is at the bottom, there's Tia's car sitting on its roof. (laughs) But yet more people come to her prayer meeting than come to my prayer meeting. And, uh, you know, these are serious people and they pray about it and God does things. And we're seeing some transformation taking place in those communities down there. The Sierra Leone, uh, you saw the house of prayer there. That's an amazing place. I've been there. And one of the things they explain to us is they start early in the morning. They have a group of people come in and they pray for about an hour and a half. And then they go home and another group comes in and prays for about an hour and a half. And they do this all day long. What they were looking for in that country is they wanted to see a church in every village and a church in every section of every city. And I'm not sure where, John, are they there yet or just getting close? Still getting close. close. And God has provided uh, just some miraculous things that were there like It's a Muslim-majority country, and they were having trouble getting into some of the tough areas. Well, God provided in a very strange way, and that is Ebola. Muslims are more susceptible to Ebola than Christians, and it has to do with the way they bury people, that when a person dies, people come and wash the body ritually, and that's probably a pretty good way of catching Ebola. Our ministry, along with this church here, was able to send containers full of food and medical supply to Sierra Leone with the intention that this would be used for Ebola 
victims because, you know, they're under quarantine. They can't go out and buy food. And people really want to stay away from them. But yet Christian brothers came into a Muslim community and brought food. And that gave us gave them access to villages they never had access before. And this is a result of prayer. It's it's even gotten to the point, uh, you saw Shadanke there, due to his witness and some dealings with the military, it actually resulted in seeing a Christian president in a Muslim-majority country. And it's amazing. You know, the, the kingdom of God is not about taking nations and territories, but it kind of feels good when it happens. And we're seeing that happen. Uh, this movement started in Sierra Leone and has resulted in well over a million new disciples, about half of them Muslim background, and tens of thousands of new churches. Now, the question would be, okay, it works in Sierra Leone. It works in Africa. Will it work in America? About a decade ago, the question was, we're seeing this work in India. Do you think this will work in Africa? Because it hadn't been tried there, and it's working great. We have another brother who works in the country of Honduras. And the question was, it works in Africa. Will it work in Honduras? They now have 5,000 groups going on. In the spring, it was 3,200. It's going that fast. Now, this is a five-year overnight success. You start out slowly with one group, and it grows and it grows. It's really like a snowball rolling downhill. Will it work in America? What do you think? Will it look as the same as in Africa? Probably not. Yes. And I would have to agree with you. We talk about communication with God, but you know, there's a saying that communication is not complete until you listen. That's a great observation that our African brothers very carefully listen for what God has to say. I love the story about the bus. We're going one place, but wow, there's an opportunity over here that even as we prayed about it, God was answering their prayers. Other observations on that. Thanks for bringing us back on track. I've got something. Mm-hmm. Right. You just really need to keep praying. Lord, you know, nothing's happening here. Should we move to someplace else? Or should we stay here and tough it out for a while? And he's going to be the one that's going to have to make that decision. In the case of our teams, after a long, long period of time and a lot of prayer and fasting, it was decided that we just need to go someplace else. I mean, like in this case, one of the particulars was that our apostolic worker had to show up at the police station every morning to check in, and it was just making <coughs> ministry impossible. And so that they felt like that was a sign that that wasn't a good place for our people to be at that time. Now, do we still care about that country? We've been praying for that country, and it's been our number one focus on our radar for over five years now. Yes, we will be back maybe in a different part of the country. Thanks for asking that question. Other observations, how how would your church maybe be different if we prayed more like the Africans? And I'll share something here, and that is one of my earliest childhood memories was going to uh, a church that my mother attended as a girl. And when the church there prayed, they had pews, But everybody, even the women wearing dresses, would get on their knees between the pews and they would all pray out loud at the same time. And that's more like the African church. They pray all at the same time. They believe 
that if you're going to plunder a strong man's house, you need somebody stronger than the strong man to go with you. And they they shout out to God. They're they're not like us who believe that God has very good ears and uh, you don't have to pray very loud. They believe you want to get God's attention and they pray loud and strong and hard and God answers. Well, first of all, to let you know, overseas we work with what are known as unengaged people groups. Those are groups where there are no Christian workers even and there are few, if any, believers. So, you know, there's basically no church to focus on. Uh, personally, what I've seen is we developed a course called Engage, which has been taught at this church a couple of times, and which was the basis of the Engage Africa segment you saw. And when we held the class here the first time, we were really seeing it as a way to mobilize people to go to the lost around us. And what we saw instead was the church, to a certain extent, internalized that my my brother back here Gordon on week two came back and talked about after only seeing this one week came back on week two and said I've already introduced this to two groups that I lead within the church and we saw better discipleship within the church through the discovery bible studies and at first this upset me because this is not what we're out to do we're out to reach the lost in Africa and Asia and places like that but then when you realize that Disciples make disciples. Converts don't make disciples. Converts really aren't good at making converts. And by converts, I mean people who just said the sinner's prayer and really aren't faithfully following and obeying Jesus. At that point, I felt a lot better about it. The more well-discipled believers we have out there, whether in the church or in the house church or whatever, the more people we'll have to reach the lost. So we need to do both. I think it's going to have to be contextualized to fit the local culture. And that may vary from even city to city in America. We're going to have to figure out how does it work in our context. The Indian context and the African context are different. The Honduran context is different. And we're really we're on the early stages of figuring out how this works in America. So, yes, we will need to change the model, what we need to change it to. I think we're going to discover that together. One of the needs I see personally, and it's one, maybe one of my pet projects, is that there are a group of people, actually two groups of people in America, that really find it hard to attend church, and that would be restaurant workers and retail workers. Every time a church door is open, they're working. And uh, how do we reach them? And one idea would be to identify persons of peace within a store, a mall, a restaurant, wherever, and build discovery groups for them where they can basically start a small church maybe after hours or during lunch or whatever at work and be able to serve them. And this is something that would be easy for someone in the church to be able to go out and enjoy some great Mexican food and meet some Mexican restaurant workers that need Jesus. Well, it looks like our time is about up. Uh, before we dismiss, though, this has been a session on prayer. I'm going to ask my wife, June, who is the uh, prayer coordinator for Final Command, to pray over this group. Thank you for attending.
You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.